watch you don't trip on everything up here. <laughs> uh, the scripture reading this morning is from Genesis. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Ryan called me a couple weeks ago and said, I've run out of cute stories to tell about Reese and Anna, so I need you to... To speak in a couple of weeks, can you do that? So he's working on some new material, and he'll be back next week. Um, we are speaking about parenting, and I just want to give the disclaimer that I was here early this morning preparing, so I wasn't at home getting my family ready. So please don't discount everything I say today based on the fact that it's 50 degrees and my son's wearing shorts and short sleeves. <laughs> Dan was, Dan was in charge. <laughs> so far, um, God has chosen to bless Dan and I with three soul, little souls in our family, two fuzzy ones, but the, um, the Bible doesn't talk much about dogs, so we'll leave them out off the table for today. Um, so, and the Bible also promises that God won't give us more than we can handle, so... We're, whoops, we're going with that for now. We're going to just roll with the three and see how it goes. Um, if any of you all also have children, or even if you grew up with siblings in your house, um, you know what I'm talking about when I say that you know it's not the keeping up with the busy schedules, juggling all of that. It's not the crushing grocery bills. It's not all the laundry um, the, the hardest part, my very lowest, lowest moments in parenting come when my children are arguing. Does anybody else relate to that? That's the hardest part. Um, these are the times when Dan and I look at each other and say, are we crazy? What have we done having all of these kids are we even qualified to be parents at all? Because clearly we're doing something wrong. And of course, I always go straight to, you know, which side of the family can I blame this, their demonic behavior? 
on. Um, so you all know what I'm talking about because you're laughing and maybe nervously looking around to sneak a peek at which other parents are also laughing because it's good to know when you're not the only one that's struggling with something. So I assure you um, that you are not the only one that's struggling with it, and I know that it's not the least bit funny when you're trying to settle World War III as it's, as it's playing out in your living room. Um, in your programs, there's an insert that has scripture on it, and that first section of, of scripture has Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Um, this, this passage describes seven things that the Bible says are detestable to God. They're not just, you know, not okay. They're, he actually detests these things. Listen to this list. Haughty eyes, haughty, that means sort of uh, snarky would be the modern, the modern term for it, uppity. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Uh-oh. Does that... Does anybody recognize any of those seven things? Do they maybe sound like your children? Do they sound like your own siblings? Or worse, do they sound like you? Because I know I can identify um, with several of those, especially in moments of conflict. Those are the times when those seven things um, make themselves apparent. Sibling conflict is as old as Cain and Abel, it's as legendary as Cinderella and her stepsisters, and it can be as deadly as the daughters of King Lear. Um, and no matter how many books you read or sermons you hear about um, parenting, it's, it's going to happen with your kids. Sibling conflict will happen, just like it did with you and your siblings. Um, but the good news is that it's normal. It's inevitable. We can't stop it. Um, and it's even useful if it's carried out in a godly way, if you help your children to manage that conflict in a godly way. Um, so let's figure out how to do that, but first we'll open in a quick word of prayer. God, we just, we just thank you for trusting us um, with the responsibility that you've given us as parents, as brothers and sisters, and as children, Lord. We just pray that you would um, identify all the needs that are in this room today, God, and meet them. Meet them with your word and with your love. Amen. So where does sibling conflict originate? Where, what causes it? Um, the Bible actually gives us a lot of really terrific examples and illustrations of sibling conflict. And through these illustrations, we're able to identify some of the causes of it. Um, in Psalm 51.5, this is in your scripture insert in that first section still. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So as Gary read earlier, the very first instance of sibling conflict is Cain and Abel. It goes back to literally the beginning of humankind, sibling conflict does. Um, we're born into sin. Our children sin because we sin, and we sin because our parents sinned. Generational sin 
is the original cause of sibling conflict. Our sin nature shows up really early in life. Um, Those of you, if you just step next door for a few minutes and observe, you'll notice that even really young children are capable of experiencing anger and jealousy, and they vent their feelings through unkind words and acts. Um, I told this story to Ryan and Brittany a long time ago, um, I think before Anna was ever even born, and I'm not sure they believed me at the time, but I'm wondering now that there are girls who are the same age difference as our girls who are a little bit older, if they might have a similar story of their own, but um, when Claire was a newborn and Drew was roughly two, I suggested one afternoon that we go out along the river and take a walk, have a picnic. And Drew said, she's got those big bright eyes, and she had a big grin to match and said, yes, and I'll throw Claire in the river. (laughs) I'll just toss her right in, and she'll be gone. Still a huge grin on her face. And I'm kind of taken aback by this demonic behavior from a two-year-old. And I said, well... Won't you be sad because then you won't have a sister anymore? She goes, still big grin. Yes, I will. She'll just be dead. (laughs) Wow. Two years old. Born into sin. So things got a little out of hand with Cain and Abel, too. The sons of Adam and Eve. Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer. Um, So these guys are going to bring an offering to God, right? They're doing something good. And Abel kills um, the firstborn firstborn sheep of his flock. This was considered to be especially sacrificial because it's the best he has to offer. He's saying to God, I'm going to give you the very first thing that I have. It may be the only, for all I know, it's the only sheep I'll ever have because God, whatever is mine belongs to you. So that's what he brings. And then Cain is out, you know, and has a lovely crop and brings God some nice, you know, pumpkins, whatever it was he was growing, olives, figs, um, brings them to God. And God rejects this offering. And so he's honked, you know, he's pretty ticked off. And the next time that they're out alone in the fields, he kills his brother. So listen to the conversation then between Cain and God. God says, what'd you do? God knew what he did, right? Just like every parent knows when their kids have done something wrong. He gives, gives them the chance to explain himself. And then how does Cain react? The same way every kid who's being put on the spot for something they've done wrong usually reacts. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, that's some nerve, right? He's talking to God, and he's snarky with God. So let that help you feel a little better the next time one of your kids are snarky with God. At least, I mean, with you, it could have been worse, right? This kid is snarky with God. So Cain and Abel were literally one degree of separation away from original sin. Their parents were fresh out of the Garden of Eden, having just recently caused the entire fall of mankind. So that's what Cain and Abel were dealing with. And and back then, there were no 
they didn't have the tools and the skills to deal with these feelings of jealousy and anger. And even though that is an example where the results went to the extreme, those are the same feelings that your children, that our children, that we have as siblings, that same anger, that same jealousy. So we're going to talk later about how to equip our children to process that, those feelings without our worst fears actually being realized, and they do, in fact, kill each other, um, which I know we all once in a while suspect is going to happen. So the original cause of sibling rivalry is generational sin. But the Bible also gives us an example of sibling conflict, which stems from marital disharmony. Um, Ryan talked a few weeks ago about the importance of prioritizing our marriages and how that can be the biggest gift we give to our children is to give them this example of marital harmony. So in Genesis 27, the Bible describes the relationship between two brothers, twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. Um, These are Abraham's grandchildren. So Abraham's son, Isaac, we're all familiar with that story. These are Isaac's twin sons, Jacob and Esau. So when Jacob and Esau were born, it became clear really early on, Esau was this big, burly, hairy, hunter sort of guy. And Jacob was sort of the smaller, nerdy mama's boy twin. That's how these guys were. Um, If all of you in the room who are named Jacob or who have children named Jacob will just bear with me for a moment, Um, I want to talk about how Jacob got his name. Jacob in Hebrew means grasps the heel. So Jacob was born second. Esau crammed his way out first. He's the big burly guy. And Jacob comes out hanging on to Esau's heel. So uh, Rebecca and Isaac literally named him after that. Let's, let's just talk Parenting 101 for a second. And that, oh, by the way, another uh, translation of the name Jacob is the deceiver. Okay, so really, they're going to name their kid their deceiver and expect things to go well? Like, aren't you just sort of inviting sibling rivalry into your, your house when you name your child the deceiver and, and grasper of the heel? You're basically telling him off the bat, you, will, you, you came out behind your brother and you're going to be behind him your entire life. So, you know, but I'll just, you know, the Aramaic... Um, translation of Jacob is follower of God. So I'm sure that's the one that all the Jacobs in the room and all their parents, those of you who named your child Jacob, I know that's what you were thinking of when you named your child Jacob. Um, So, um, sorry. So here, you know the story of Jacob and Esau, right? So um, one day, um, Esau's out hunting and Jacob is making a nice and Esau comes in and he's literally starving to death and says, please, you got to give me that some of that stew. I'm about to die of hunger. And Jacob goes, okay, you can have some of this stew for your birthright, for your entire birthright. And Esau gives it to him. He gives him his birthright. He signs over his inheritance to Jacob for the stew. Um, sorry, Hank, but 
you're, you're all the material I have to work with, so I'm going to pick on you a little bit. When Claire was maybe five, she comes in one day. Hank had been to a party. We went to a party, and Hank won a big thing of jelly beans, you know, like 2,000-something jelly beans for guessing the, the, having the closest guess to how many jelly beans are in the bowl. So he wins this thing of jelly beans. That kid could care less about candy, this one over here. He doesn't eat candy. His sisters, however live from one moment to the next and when they can find some more candy. So I'm cooking dinner and Claire comes in and goes, look at what I got. Hank sold me 10 jelly beans for just $5. (laughs) So Jacob cut a similar deal with Esau. And then later... Much later in their lives, when Isaac was on his deathbed, he's blind, okay? So he can't see anything. Rebecca hears Isaac tell Esau, go hunting and bring back some game. Let's eat some meat. Isaac was a big meat lover. Let's have some meat, and I'm going to give you my final blessing before I die. And this was a tradition, right? A rite of passage. I'm going to give you my one and only final blessing. So Esau sets out hunting. Rebecca hears all this and says, all right, Jacob, let's get our plan together. Go out and get some of the choice goats from our flock and bring them. So Jacob goes out, brings the goats. She makes a tasty goat stew, uses the pelts from the goats to cover Jacob's hands so that he feels like Esau and dresses him in Esau's clothing so that he even smells like his brother. And she sends him in and together they succeed in deceiving Isaac into thinking that Jacob is Esau. So then Isaac gives Jacob his final blessing. Well, Esau comes in ready with his stew and says, let's go, Dad. Let's, have our, let's eat our meat and let's have the blessing. He's like, what, what, who are you? I already gave my blessing. And Esau, as you can imagine, was so angry he vowed to kill his brother. So then Rebecca sends Jacob away says, you got to get out of here. And she goes in and tells Isaac that the reason she sent Jacob, she's still not fessing up to what happened. She tells Isaac the reason she sent Jacob away was because she was afraid he was going to marry the wrong kind of woman. This town is full of people that are not worthy of my child. So she sent him away and and so uh, never fesses up. You know, the truth is when the twins were still, before they were even born, Um, God told Rebecca there was going to be conflict between her sons. She knew this already. They were um, jostling. The Bible tells us they were jostling so violently in her belly that she went to God and said, what is happening? Why is this going on? What is going on here? Why is this happening to me? And God explained to her, you have a battle of nations already waging war inside of you. Your sons are going to have conflict and the older one is going to end up serving the younger one. So Rebecca knows this their whole lives. She knows that it's going to end up this way, that Esau is going to end up serving Jacob. So why doesn't Rebecca just talk to Isaac about that while the kids are growing up? They can be discussing who's going to get the birthright and why, that it's God. God's already predetermined how this is going to work out. But instead, she chose to deceive Isaac. So Isaac and Rebekah were joined in marriage, but not in spirit. So marital disharmony um, also can cause sibling rivalry. 
We've got to model for our kids what it looks like to work out conflict, to work through conflict, and to live in love and harmony. And so the last example of uh, sibling rivalry that we're going to look at from the Bible today is uh, the cause for sibling rivalry, rivalry in this case, is favoritism. So Jacob, whose life is spared because his mother sends him away, goes on to have his own rather large family. And um, Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, has a hard time having children. She's, she's struggling with infertility and finally has this beautiful baby boy. So understandably, Jacob is elated. With, he's so joyful over the birth of this miracle baby boy. Um, by contrast, when Rachel gives birth to their youngest son, Benjamin, she dies. She dies in childbirth. And Jacob is so heartbroken over the loss of his favorite wife. I don't know how I felt when the other ones died, but over the loss of his favorite wife, he can't even um, hide his displeasure with this kid, this poor kid, Benjamin, who comes along uh, as his mother dies. So surely, of all people, Jacob can remember what it's like to be rejected by your father, to have a parent favor one child over the other based on his own experience with sibling rivalry. Um, But here we go again with the the generational sin. Um, He has such strong favor for Joseph that it's no secret amongst all of his sons that Joseph is um, Jacob's favorite son. And he goes so over the top with that at some point that he, in a gesture of love to his son, Joseph, he gives him this beautiful ornamental robe. Um, When I was growing up in church and Sunday school, it was always described as the coat of many colors. Um, I blame that coat to this day for my obsession with fashion and clothes, all the little felt storyboards with Joseph in his striped, beautiful coat. I wanted one so badly for myself. Um, Hank considers a shirt with a collar fancy. So if I gave Hank a fancy ornamental robe, I think he would consider it a great insult, actually. But in this case, it was an overt gesture of favoritism, and Joseph's brothers were not happy about it. And you know this story, too. In fact, they're so unhappy about it, they drag him out, they dig a big hole in the ground and throw him in the ground, Drew style, and, um, and then they sell him into slavery when some people come by looking for slaves. So they sell him into slavery, they rip up the stupid coat, and they take it to their dad and go, well, he must have been eaten by wild animals. Sorry about that, dad. So um, there was, you know, there was nothing wrong with Jacob's love for this kid, Joseph. We can all imagine that, imagine the elation over a miracle child being born. And we can also understand his devastation when his wife died delivering their final child. But, but Jacob let sin come in and take control of those emotions, and his children suffered because of it. Benjamin had this unfair burden placed on him of of grief. Um, Joseph and uh, his brothers, a wedge was driven between them because Jacob let this um, sin take over his emotions. 
It's really tedious, by the way, juggling all of these names. I'm struggling thinking, did I say Abel or did I say Cain? Um, all right, so we've looked at the biblical examples of some of the origins of sibling rivalry, some of the things that cause it, whether it's generational sin, marital disharmony, favoritism, and there are other causes too, but these are the three we're looking at today. Now you're saying, great, I understand where it comes from. Just make it stop. Make my kids quit fighting. Let's get down to brass tacks. So let's talk about some strategies for managing conflict um, amongst your children. First of all, it's important that we acknowledge children's feelings of jealousy and anger. Jesus felt those things too. We hear stories about um, Jesus being so angry that he literally rips up a marketplace because of the way people are behaving. You know, God's described as a jealous God. The jealousy and angry anger in and of themselves are not the problem. There's no safer place for your children to experience these kind of emotions than in your own home, the security of your own home where you're there with them to love them while it's happening. The emotions that accompany conflict are confusing. They're scary. And so we want them to experience those things in our presence and not outside of our homes. Or when they do happen outside of our homes, they'll know how to deal with it. It's really tempting to reason away or judge these emotions. So, you know, he's only two. You should, he doesn't understand. You should cut him some slack. Versus, it's a real drag when your brother plays with your toys without asking, isn't it? Okay, the second thing we can do is intervene, but only when necessary. I kind of have a mental rule, which is if blood is not being shed, y'all deal with it. Don't bother me. That's, that's kind of, I'm not saying my rules are right, but I'm just saying that's how I do it. Um, by trying, when we try to serve as arbitrator, middleman, referee, um, we end up actually exacerbating the rivalry. We are being forced by tiny manipulators to declare a victor, to declare a winner, and then at the same time, declaring a loser. So when we let them work it out on their own and don't always give them the answers, we're empowering them. That's how they're gaining those skills. We do have to step in, though, when somebody's getting hurt, when the blood is actually being shed. We do have to step in. So um, we're, again, don't follow my style, which would be something along the lines of, what's the matter with you? Separate. You go to your room. You go to your room. Don't speak to each other. I don't want to hear anything else the rest of the day. May, you know, that's one way to handle it. A, another diffusing statement that you can use, diffusing for your own emotions and for those of your children would be something like, I won't allow one child that I love to hurt another child that I love. So in that scenario, there's no victor, there's no villain, and hopefully there's no violence. And then don't forget also to catch them doing something right and to acknowledge that. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live in unity. Guys, you're cooperating so beautifully Thank you. Hasn't this been a great day?
point out to them how beautiful it is when they do learn to get along. Another thing we need to do is avoid comparisons, either positive or negative. There is a 100% guarantee that if you do this, if you engage in comparisons, that you will cause sibling rivalry amongst your children. 100% guarantee. So even if it's in a positive, you think it's in a positive light. So if you practice really hard, you can be as good a pianist as your sister. Or why can't you just sit still and do your homework like your, like your brother? Comparisons are hurtful, and they will absolutely um, cause rivalry amongst your children. Instead, describe what you see. Describe how you feel about it and what needs to be done about it. Remain neutral. I see a jacket on the floor. I don't like that. Somebody needs to pick it up. Versus, why can't you hang up your clothes like your sister always does? Or, I see you hung up your jacket. I really appreciate that. Versus, you're so much neater than your brother is. I would never say that. You're the neat one. Um, Love each of your children completely and uniquely, but not necessarily equally. Find Each of your children has individual gifts and qualities. Sometimes they tend to... They, uh, We'll choose to show them in big ways, and other, other times you have to look hard. But find your children's unique gifts and qualities and learn to treasure those in good times and bad. Bond over common interests, but don't let that draw your children into conflict. It's, it's great if you love to watch ballet with one of your children. It's great if you love to play football. All those things are gifts. Um, bond over those, but just don't let them cause conflict amongst your children. And then finally, give according to need and not necessarily in equal amounts. Your children are going to go through seasons where they have special acute needs, just like we do. And you can give special attention to that child when they need it, just like God does with us. We go through intense times where we need extra, extra awareness that God is there for us. And your children are going to go through the same thing, and that is okay to give out in unequal amounts. And finally, avoid the fairness trap. From in her book, Your Second Child, Joan Weiss wrote this. Although children say they want total equality, it's impossible to achieve. It's a hardship on parents. Did you ever try counting the number of sprinkles on two ice cream cones or the number of Cheerios in two bowls of cereal? And it is not what the children really want anyway. Research has shown that policy, a policy of providing two sisters two of everything, two swings, two sandboxes, two tricycles, two pairs of similar galoshes, does not, prevent sibling, does not prevent rivalry. The reason is that children are not really fighting over the swings or the cookies or the jeans. What they're fighting over is your love. What they need is the reassurance that they have it. The father in the story of the prodigal son understood this when his younger son, who had gone out and squandered his inheritance and generally embarrassed the family, returns. And the older son comes and says, Dad, it's not fair. It's not fair. I stayed here the whole time faithful to you. And he's the one getting the party. And his dad says to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine. 
is yours. Another thing that we have to be careful of is let no child be locked into a certain role. It's very easy, especially during conflict, to assign roles to your children. You just sort of assume because of one characteristic or another that they're always going to follow the same pattern. So maybe it's because they're the older one or the younger one. Or maybe they're the naughty one or maybe they're the rule follower. Um, Do we have certain ideas about the way children should behave based on their gender? Um, It places unfair burdens on our children, just like uh, Jacob placed unfair burdens on his sons based on their circumstances. When we expect them to behave because of a certain, because they fall into one of these roles. Older children aren't necessarily more capable of processing their emotions and their feelings than younger children. Kids that normally follow rules are just as capable of deceit and evil as the ones who don't. I was one of those kids. I got away with everything because I was a rule follower, and nobody ever suspected that I did the things that I did, but I did them. Um, And then finally, continually teach and model respect and love. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Share that passage with your children all the time. I remind my kids... Uh, frequently that friends are wonderful and they're important and God puts them in our lives but family is forever and just like we would take care of our own bodies like we would nurture a garden like we would cherish a, a prized possession we have to take care of the relationships that we have with our brothers and sisters because it has to last forever We're only going to get one Sophie, one Lucy. We're only going to get one Dade, one Lawson, one Jacob, one Josh, one Nathan. That's all we're going to get. And they have to last us a lifetime. So it's, it's imperative that we nurture that relationship. Uh, Tom Holliday spoke last week about the fact that, thank God for him saying this, that we're going to mess up. Even loaded with all kinds of strategies and scripture and whatever resources we have, there's a rocky road ahead. Our kids are going to fight, and sometimes we're going to handle it poorly. But there's good news for the brawlers and their weary parents, and that is that we worship a God who's really big on redemption and healing. Esau and Jacob reconciled 20 years after the death of their parents. And Joseph eventually forgave his brothers, saved their lives, and their relationship um, was restored. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So if you're here today and you're wondering how any of this applies to you, maybe you don't even have children, you don't plan on having children, you have one child, 
or you don't have siblings, maybe you just came for the free bagels and coffee and had no idea we were even talking about siblings today. But just because you're clever enough not to have brought this complication onto yourselves and then, and, and that some of us have, I encourage you today to examine the way that you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not quite off the hook. Look around at the way that we treat each other. Romans 9.8 says, This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. We are, in fact, all siblings in the family of God. So how do you manage conflict with the people around you? Are you modeling Christ-like love and acceptance for the rest of the world to observe? That's my challenge to you. Um, Parenting is obviously far too broad and much too long a journey to cover in six weeks. Um, Our series concludes today. Your life as a parent is going to keep going for a long time. So this is not going to be enough. Um, I encourage you to take advantage of the resources that are available to you. We have the books that Ryan told you about. Um, Plug into a community group. Get a group of people around you that you have to talk about these things with. My friend Sydney's here today, and we've been in the same parenting group for 10 years or something like that. We meet every week for 10 years, and we have not run out of stuff to talk about. We have not run out of challenges in our, uh, in our journey as parents. So get a group around you that you can consult with. If you're stuck, and you will be, um, seek counseling. Ryan, Jacob, and I, can, we can hook you up with um, this fantastic counseling that can get you through some of the particularly sticky parts um, in this journey as parents. But most importantly, um, spend time on your knees. Prayer is um, the greatest tool that I have in my parenting tool belt. It's pretty much the only one, really. Um, you have to spend time in the presence of the one who has enough love, enough patience, enough strength um, for all of us. Ask for wisdom. Ask for patience. Ask for wise counsel and for unity in your marriage. Um, God can provide all of that. He is enough. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. Let's pray. God, today I just pray your blessing on the families that are represented here, Lord. I pray your protection over our children, God, over our marriages. I ask that you would grant us wisdom. And we claim your promise right now, God, that um, in the times that we are weak, that you will make us strong. Thank you, God, for adopting us as your own children. Um, Help us treasure the relationships we have uh, with our siblings and your family. And 
God, may the love that we have for each other, for our spouses, and for our children be a testimony to you in our community, to those around us. In your name I pray, amen.